Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Today is Thursday, August 6, 2020, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Today marks the 55th anniversary the signing of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. We'll talk with one of the founders of Vote.org about what, how they're helping people vote today. Facebook has removed troll farms targeting African-Americans and supporting Donald Trump. In Iowa, voting rights have been restored for 40,000 former inmates. Also, a suit has been filed in New York against the NRA to dissolve them. Plus, the Navy SEALs have suspended support of the National Navy SEAL Museum it's tied to Colin Kaepernick. We'll tell you why. And UCLA considers cutting two scholarships connected with a Confederate heritage group. Plus, you know what? It's still more drama, folks. Uh, we, uh, we're we covering when it comes to this campaign. Joe Biden uh, speaks to NABJ and NAHJ. Makes quite a peculiar comment regarding the lack of diversity in the black community, but more Latino community. We'll explain. It's time to bring the funk. I'm rolling Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. 
All right, folks, it was 50, 55 years ago when the Voting Rights Act was signed into law. It was an arduous fight for African-Americans to get that to happen. Of course, we remember Bloody Sunday, where uh, John Lewis was almost beaten to death, and so many other people were beaten viciously on that bridge. That led to another march from Selma to Montgomery. It was that action that propelled the Voting Rights Act forward. So yet here we are, 55 years later, still dealing with the after effects of that. We have the Shelby v. Holder decision by the Supreme Court that pretty much gutted significant parts of that. Congress on the Democratic side, they have voted to restore or to fix it. Republicans have refused to actually move on it. And so what we're dealing now, of course, is with more issues when it comes to voting. Now, of course, in 2020, because of the coronavirus pandemic, now we're talking about massive mail-in voting. You still have a more than a thousand early voting, excuse me, voting locations that were uh, they've gotten rid of in the South. All kinds of battles over the issue of voting. Here we are, 88 days before the election, and we're still not sure what is going to happen in November. Folks are very worried. But more importantly, if you can't, if you're not registered, you can't vote anyway. That's right. Pull the graphic up, y'all. That's right. Please. Thank you. Uh, 88 days before the presidential election. Don't forget the election goes beyond for president. You have key United States Senate races. You have all members of the House of Representatives who are up for re-election. And then, of course, we have gubernatorial, state representatives, state senators. We have local races as well. It is a whole lot. Joining us right now is Andrea Haley. She's the CEO of vote.org. Vote.org, of course, uh, is uh, a place where you can get as much information as possible, first and foremost. If you are concerned about whether you're registered, you know, you've had a lot of people who have been uh, displaced when it comes to voting, uh, removed from voting rolls. You can check that. You can also request opportunity to mail, mail by vote. Uh, first and foremost, uh, uh, Andrea, how has it been going in terms of what kind of traffic have you seen coming to your site uh, since so many people now are looking at voting by mail as a result of coronavirus. Hi, uh, Roland. It's so good to be here with you today. So thank you uh, for having me on. We have seen a huge amount of traffic on the site at vote.org, sometimes up as much as 700% over anything we've ever seen before. We've already helped um, over 1.2 million people since January request their absentee or their vote by mail um, ballot. So we're really excited about that. Um, we know that registrations across the country are down, but registrations at vote.org are way up. I think it's because we're a digital resource. So in this time where so many people have been in their houses, um, we have the tools that people can use to go ahead, get on their phone, verify their registration status, register to vote, or request their absentee. Um, so we're really excited about everything that's been happening um, at vote.org, and it gives us a lot of hope to see so many people participating. Um, and, uh, and Anthony, you can go to my iPad, please. I'm actually showing the site right now. Again, one of the points that I have made to people over and over and over again is that don't just assume you're registered. We have seen people knocked off the voting rolls. We've seen efforts to remove people saying that they did not have an initial or something along those lines. And so what I keep telling people is go to the site and just double check to make sure. That's right. Just to make sure, because we've seen lots, again, lots of errors. And then people go on election day, then they say, well, no, file a provisional ballot. Well, here's the deal. If you vote by mail, uh, I mean, you're dealing with that drama as well. And so I, I just keep telling people, just double check. Yep, that's absolutely right. Um, double check, make sure you're still on the rolls. Um, don't take it for granted. It only takes a second to double check. So I recommend that people do that often. 
Um, and then the other thing is that we know this year there are going to be unprecedented challenges. So it's so important to go ahead and register early. And if you're going to vote by mail, to get those requests in very early this year, because um, we know that, you know, as the there's a wave of people who are going to to do it right at the deadlines and that they may run into trouble in the states as the states uh, work to scale their vote by mail programs. One of the things on here, you have polling place locator. We know more than a thousand polling locations have closed all across the South uh, in the last decade or so. Uh, and so how are you uh, ensuring that it is the right up to date information for people able to access their polling location? Yes, um, it's a huge problem, especially since today is the um, anniversary of the Voting Rights Act. And as you said, we know that the Voting Rights Act had protections in it that have been gutted um, and that were gutted in 2013. And because of that, we've had poll closures all over this country. And another issue we have this year is that we need a new generation of poll workers to step forward, too, so we can keep these in-person locations open. Um, at Vote.org, we are tracking election law changes and polling locator changes every day. Um, we've had to hire on a team of election attorneys to help us out in that um, and to make sure that we're delivering the best, most up-to-date information to voters in real time. Um, so I suggest that uh, as people go online and they register, that they also sign up for the Vote.org election alerts, and that way we can text you any updates that are happening in your community. So that one, so again, uh, uh, Anthony, go to the iPad. So when we click uh, election reminders, so if you sign up for that, uh, that's anything that is specific to um, what you, what, what folks are doing, what was happening in where, where they're, where they are voting. Yes, absolutely. And this year has looked a little different um, for everyone in the civic spaces is, you know, we had the shutdowns in March, right as primaries were happening across the country. So what we've done at vote.org is we've become a rapid response hub. We have over 4 million people who have signed up for those election alerts already. And we make sure that as um, in the primaries, as dates were changing, as rules were changing, we let voters know in real time. Um, and for the general election, we'll let voters know what it is they need um, to bring with them to the polls or or to participate and vote by mail in real time uh, in specific to their state. All right, then. Uh, again, folks, uh, the site is vote.org. All the information, go right back to it, Anthony. All the information there, check your registration, register to vote. Uh, if you want to vote by mail, you can actually request right, right there. I did that uh, just a, few, a couple of weeks ago, get election reminders. You can also pledge to register, polling place, place locator. And if you want to sign up for the 2020 census, you can do it right here as well. And so that's all important. Andrea Haley with CEO of vote.org. We still appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having me. 88 days. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, well, 88, 88 days for election day. But what I keep reminding people to remember, you got right. you got registration deadlines. Then you got early voting. Then you have early voting deadlines. Then you got mail deadlines. And so I'm sort of reminding people uh, to think in those terms because I'm trying to get as many people as possible to focus on getting things done early and not waiting to the last minute. That's right. Make a plan and make it early. That's that's true words. So thank you so much, uh, Roland. All right. Thank you very much. I want to bring my panel right now. We, of course, have Reese Colbert, Black Women's Views, Erica Savage-Wilson. She is the host of Savage Politics Podcast. In a moment, we're going to have Dr. Greg Carr, Chair of the Department of Afro-American Studies at Howard University. Uh, Erica, I want to start with you again. Uh, 55 years ago, Voting Rights Act was signed. Republicans have done everything possible uh, in the last uh, 20 or so years to gut uh, this, and we've really seen it since in the last decade. Uh, bottom line is, 
is we got to stay vigilant. Uh, Democrats have passed a bill to fix the Voting Rights Act in the House. It is languishing in, in the Senate. Mitch McConnell is not moving on it as well. If people want to say what's the difference between two parties, that's it. Democrats want to fix it. Republicans don't. Yep. And Republicans continue to lead the way in voter suppression, right? So when we look at, you know, there's really not a, a false kind of choice here. Um, supporting the party that continues to lead in voter suppression tactics, that continues to um, support this occupant of the White House who was a son of a Klansman who would continue to do everything that he can do within his power to um, definitely um, ruin the confidence of people in um, the vote um, for November the 3rd. And so one thing that I've been saying to people, and I'm so glad that you had um, the CEO of Vote.org, Roland, and you mentioned all the things that you mentioned, is I've been saying um, on Savage Politics to listen, have a voting plan. You know, when we think about kind of like 88 days, but even when we shrink that down to, um, as you said, when you think about all of the deadlines and kind of like what is in front of us and postmark dates and things of that nature, we don't have enough time. So I've been saying to people, listen, whatever your voting plan is, if you're going to be voting um, by mail or if you're going to, because of wanting to be at the poll or because you're a senior, you know, there's literacy barriers or what have you, to it, you make sure your municipality has early voting days. And if they do engage in that, the nostalgia of standing in line, that is um, package that up for a different time. People have got to be actionable and understand that this election um, is about maintaining some semblance of democracy. Um, it is not about waxing poetic about who is the best candidate. Yep. It, it is yep. simply about that. Uh, folks, uh, um, this is actually the video exactly. from 55 years ago when the Voting Rights Act was signed into law by President Lyndon Baines Johnson. my fellow Americans. Today is a triumph for freedom as huge as any victory that's ever been won on any battlefield. Yet to seize the meaning of this day, we must recall darker times. Three and a half centuries ago, the first Negroes arrived at Jamestown. They did not arrive in brave ships in search of a home for freedom. They did not mingle fear and joy in expectation that in this new world anything would be possible to a man strong enough to reach for it. They came in darkness and they came in chains. And today, we strike away the last major shackle of those fierce and ancient bonds. 
Negro story and the American story fuse and blend. And let us remember that it was not always so. The stories of our nation and of the American Negro are like two great rivers, welling up from that tiny Jamestown spring. They flow through the centuries along divided channels. When pioneers subdued a continent to the need of man, they did not tame it for the Negro. When the Liberty Bell rang out in Philadelphia, it did not toll for the Negro. When Andrew Jackson threw open the doors of democracy, they did not open for the Negro. It was only at Appomattox a century ago that an American victory was also a Negro victory. And the two rivers, one shining with promise, the other dark stained with oppression, began to move toward one another. Yet for almost a century, the promise of that day was not fulfilled. Today is a towering and certain mark that in this generation that promise will be kept. In our time, the two currents will finally mingle and rush as one great stream across the uncertain and the marvelous years of the America that is yet to come. This act flows from a clear and simple wrong. Its only purpose is to right that wrong. Millions of Americans are denied the right to vote because of their color. This law will ensure them the right to vote. The wrong is one which no American in his heart can justify. The right is one which no American, true to our principles, can deny. In 1957, as the leader of the majority in the United States Senate, Speaking in supporting legislation to guarantee to the right of all men a right to vote, I said, this right to vote is the basic right without which all others are meaningless. It gives people, people as individuals, control over their own destinies. Last year, I said, until every qualified person, regardless of the color of his skin, has the right, unquestioned and unrestrained, to go in and cast his ballot in every precinct in this great land of ours, I am not going to be satisfied.
immediately after the election, I directed the Attorney General to explore as rapidly as possible the ways to ensure the right to vote. And then, last March, with the outrage of Selma still fresh, I came down to this Capitol one evening and asked the Congress and the people for swift and for sweeping action to guarantee to every man and woman the right to vote. In less than 48 hours, I sent the Voting Rights Act of 1965 to the Congress. In little more than four months, the Congress, with overwhelming majorities, enacted one of the most monumental laws in the entire history of American freedom. The members of the Congress, the many private citizens who worked to shape and pass this bill, will share a place of honor in our history for this one act alone. There were those who said this is an old injustice and there is no need to hurry. But 95 years have passed since the 15th Amendment gave all Negroes the right to vote, and the time for waiting is gone. There were those who said smaller and more gradual measures should be tried, but they had been tried. For years and years, they had been tried and tried and tried, and they had failed and failed and failed. And the time for failure is gone. There were those who said that this is a many-sided and very complex problem. But however viewed, the denial of the right to vote is still a deadly wrong. And the time for injustice has gone. This law covers many pages, but the heart of the act is plain. Wherever, by clear and objective standards, states and counties are using regulations or laws or tests to deny the right to vote, then they will be struck down. If it is clear that state officials still intend to discriminate, then federal examiners will be sent in to register all eligible voters. When the prospect of discrimination is gone, the examiners will be immediately withdrawn. And under this act, if any county anywhere in this nation does not want federal intervention, it need only open its polling places to all of its people. Now, uh, Reese, the thing here is that people have to understand is that because of the Southern Democrats uh, who uh, fought this here, they put a provision in there where its sunset in 25 years had to be reauthorized. And that's what you're seeing. Then, of course, when now every time Congress reauthorized it, it was reauthorized dang near unanimous. 
But mm -hmm. it wasn't until it was challenged and the Supreme Court said it was unconstitutional that some places uh, could have that, that federal intervention LBJ was talking about and not others. And then John Roberts tried to even make the argument that, well, it, 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 the, the voting numbers of African-Americans being able to vote have increased so much, it shows you there's no need for that. And actually, see, Congress needed to fix this formula that they, that they sort of created. I mean, it, it made no sense whatsoever. And the moment after their decision, the same Southern states, now led by Republicans, immediately focused on voter ID, shutting down locations, moving locations, putting barriers in place that were akin to exactly what LBJ was talking about in 1965. Absolutely. And I mean, this is the kind of intentional uh, erosion of hard-fought gains that we have to fight for in every generation. Um, and so it was absolutely intentional, and the Republicans had a field day with it, and they're still having a field day with it. But unfortunately, with Mitch McConnell running the Senate and Donald Trump as the president, the cavalry is not coming for black voters. And so what we have to do, as Erica mentioned, is we have to have a voting plan. I want to shout out the vote.org, vote which is the black woman-led organization. And um, to, to, to pivot a little bit, I do want to shout out Higher Heights and Phenomenal actually took out a full-page ad today in the New York Times to highlight the fact that for, for, the, for the Voting Rights Act anniversary, that's actually the first time that Black women were fully enfranchised in this country. Mm -hmm. And so on today, I would like to recognize, you know, the fact that Black women have been fighting for this and were the last ones to actually receive any kind of, uh, you know, enfranchisement on a meaningful level. And I want to shout out Amelia Boynton Robinson, who led the march on, who helped organize the march on Bloody Sunday across the Edmund Pettus, Bri Edmund Pettus Bridge, and uh, leaders like Diane Nash, who was a leader in the Selma voting rights campaign. And so we often, you know, see, you know, wonderful, amazing people that absolutely deserve credit, like the great John Lewis. But we don't often talk about the role that Black women have played in the fight for the Voting Rights Act and continue to play, as you know, as you had um, Andrea on earlier, with ensuring that Black people have the right to vote, are educated, well, people all, all across the board, Latasha Brown as well, with Black voter, Voters Matter. So this advocacy is still going on. Black women are still leading the charge. And that's something that I feel is really important to know on today. Uh, folks, speaking of voting in Iowa, Governor Kim Reynolds signed an executive order granting convicted felons the right to vote. Her order would not automatically restore voting rights to felons convicted of certain crimes. However, it allows an estimated 40,000 former inmates to register and head to the polls. Reynolds will also continue to push the legislature to pass a constitutional amendment to prevent future governors from overturning this order. That's the type of stuff, Reese uh, and Erica, that needs to happen. Erica first. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, definitely something from a Republican-led um, governor that was, you know, a, a really good will faith, um, kind of backed up by uh, the NAACP there, that those 40,000 people. Um, and just to kind of broaden that a bit, now, those people that have been extended uh, the right to vote again will also have to uh, complete uh, parole and probation and um, their sentence as well. And so when we kind of think about parole and probation, even though, you know, some of those kind of like poll tax measures with um, having to pay restitutions and pay fines of those and things of that nature have been pulled out um, from uh, what the governor signed here in June, 
We also have to think about parole and probation in that there are also sometimes monetary um, responsibilities that are related to that. So, you know, again, we're still kind of pushing for people to have the right to vote when you look at states like Maine and Vermont who allow people who are incarcerated to still cast ballots. So this ongoing movement where Reese talked about all of the black women who have been involved in that movement, I just want to invoke the name of Fannie Lou Hamer, who got activated um, in her, a church back in 1962 um, in voting rights um, and educating people on their right to vote as well. So when we kind of look at all of this, um, this is a good faith step in the right direction, but there still needs to be a push for more to ensure that people um, who are incarcerated, uh, particularly the state of Florida, where the Governor DeSantis uh, decided to really shift um, those hundreds of thousands of um, previously incarcerated people that would have the right to vote and invoke some level of poll tax, that we really do push further because that right should be exercised by everyone. Oh, absolutely. And so again, uh, today's the 55th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act. And so when the show is over, what we are going to do is we're going to actually stream that entire ceremony uh, so you can hear the full speech and actually see the folks who were also there as well. And so that was certainly history uh, that was uh, quite important there. Now, folks, we talk about voting. Look, there are people who want to stop black folks from doing that. And we're also seeing the type of efforts, voter suppression efforts online that targets African-Americans. Well, today, Facebook announced that they have uh, removed hundreds of accounts from a foreign troll farm posing as African-Americans in support of Donald Trump and Quran supporters. It also removed hundreds of fake accounts linked to conservative media outlets like the Epoch Times that pushed pro-Trump conspiracy theories about coronavirus and protests in the United States. This is part of its enforcement against coordinated and authentic behavior, which is the use of fake accounts to inflate the reach of content or products on social media. In a moment, uh, Shireen uh, Mitchell is going to be joining us to talk about this here. But this is what we're seeing, Reese. We're already seeing in 2020 what we saw in 2016, where individuals impersonating African-Americans are trying to have an impact on the discourse, stir up dissension among black folks. Absolutely. And that's why we have to be very vigilant about what we are, in, you know, ingesting and not just taking these memes at their words, not just taking these catchy tweets at their words. You have to have some critical thinking skills here, people, and you have to do your own research. You have to verify and you cannot feed this 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 artificial machine. And I see it all day, every day where people just take these, you know, these bots and what they're pushing out there and they run with it. And it's very dangerous because they are actually coordinated and their job is to push disinformation and misinformation. And so don't fall for the hype. Make sure anything that you're sharing, that you verified it, that you validated it, because you could be a part of this campaign. A lot of the efforts that we've seen actually take very few bots before it gets amplified exponentially by real people, which is harder to detect at that point. Um, right now is Shireen Mitchell. She's a social media analyst and diversity strategist. Shireen, again, we see these farms. Earlier this year, there was a Russian farm that then was moved to Ghana, where they were also impersonating African-Americans. And this is why, what I keep telling people, you better trust and verify who you're following and listening to, because these are deliberate 
efforts to stir up dissension among black people is no different than the Republicans who are trying to help Kanye West get on the ballot in certain states. I, thank you for even mentioning the whole, whole Kanye West piece as well. But yes, um, if people actually see the track, we have been tracking this since 2013. This happened right after, basically, Obama won the second time, and it started to become these accounts that started to pretend to be black women. And that happens before we had Gamergate or anything else in between. And so people don't understand the, the through line because they don't understand the origin. So. What we're watching is ex the the stuff that happened in 2016 now expanded. Um, we are watching other groups try to do the exact same thing. And we talk about what they're, what they're trying to do. Uh, give our audience a sense uh, of what they're trying to do, what, what they should be looking out for. Uh, as, uh, something's happened to Shireen. Shireen, you still there? Uh, I think Shireen has frozen. Uh, Erica, um, uh, when you look at these people, I tell people all the time, when you start seeing these names and they got like eight numbers at the end on Twitter, and then when you look at their bio and it says they launched the account in July 2020, yeah, it's a good chance they're a bot. Right. Absolutely, Roland. And uh, what Shireen was uh, sharing with us and laying out that really this disinformation campaign that was launched um, by Russia back in 2015-2016 period has been so successful that there really does not have, they really don't have as much intervention. They are intervening. Um, but um, really, Americans, um, just by way of, like Reese talked about, with memes and just kind of like, oh, this seems like this is pretty savvy, may maybe a couple of sentences long, a post or something like that, have really just, Americans have taken that on. Um, and as Reese said, really ingested that and made that truth and sharing that. And so this really... Um, along with what you say, you know, n making sure that when you see somebody who has a name and a whole bunch of digits, all those characters, and just kind of like propped up a Twitter account that is most likely a bot, but even people that you follow, if they're sharing posts and these posts are supposed to be for like more of discussion, um, for places of discussion, but it's really based off of a meme or a piece of a conversation, that is not a conversation that you want to be a part of, and it's not something that you want to share out, because those impressions really did help people, um, as we saw in 2016, um, disenfranchise themselves for the vote and just say that, you know, between Hillary Clinton and um, the White House occupant, that it was the lesser of two evils. Um, and so they were going to sit out the campaign or vote for Jill Stein, a third party candidate. And so people really, really, really have to be very, very clear on the people that they're receiving their messaging from. And again, before you share anything, you make sure the onus is on the person with whom that account belongs to, to ensure that what you are in fact sharing is factual. Shireen, uh, we have you back here again. What should we be looking yes. out for? Yeah, so I think that some of the uh, recommendations that just was said are important. I think that also that we need to understand a couple of key pieces of this is that, th that they try to use black vernacular to connect to the black community. So if you see vernacular that seems outdated, uh, that looks like they're like talking jive or other aspects of what they think that our language is, like you should take a pause and you should be able to like so, sort of not share that content. I think the other key pieces is that 
targeting black women because they are key to the Democratic vote as we're having this debate about the vice president, as we're having these debates about issues that are important to the black community. If you look at accounts that pretend to be black women or targeting black women, that you should take a pause and like either if it's a real black woman and you know it, protect that person, protect their voice or call it out. And, and stop the the sharing of that information that disinformation. Um, as we're going into um, this election, um, we also have to understand the way that COVID is being used and weaponized against our community. And so that people who are pretending to be black people who are basically sharing misinformation about COVID are also red flags. Make sure that you're you're, you're confirming that data and, and and confirming where that data is coming from or that information is coming from. Uh, the, uh, and, and I think the important part that I think was said a little bit earlier is about the memes. Is if you see more memes about a certain uh, piece of content or a, a topic, you should pause on that because the memification of disinformation is widely spread, but it's widely spread because it's harder to stop. What most people don't understand is the tech the tech companies and and uh, who, which use algorithms. The, the algorithms cannot track the, the, the text and the content of an image. They can track the content of the text if you write a text, but not the image. So if you're sharing a meme that has text in it that's disinformation, it's harder for them to catch it and snatch it down. So you have to be careful about sharing memes. Right. And, and, and don't just laugh at it because you might be laughing, but you're contributing to it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. You're helping to spread it. You're helping to share it. Like the memification is one of the biggest weapons that has been used, which is why we have this problem. Because most people don't even realize how the how the applications work for Im images versus text. So if you see a text that says, you know, do not vote, or uh, both the both candidates are the same, or vote, you know, don't don't show up to the polls, text your vote, and it's an image. Be clear that that kind of information is disinformation that's targeting vote suppression, which we call digital vote suppression. And it's harder to capture, especially running up to the election. All right, Shereen Mitchell, we certainly appreciate that. I'm sure we'll be talk talking with you a lot more over the next 88 days leading up to the election. Thanks a lot. No problem. Thank you for having me. Folks, today the New York Attorney General Letitia James filed a lawsuit to dissolve the National Rifle Association. This follows an 18-month investigation that found evidence that the powerful gun rights group is, quote, is, quote, fraught with fraud and abuse. The investigation found financial misconduct and millions of dollars that contributed to a loss of more than 64 million bucks over a three-year period. The suit alleges that, alleges that top NRA executives misused charitable funds for personal gain, awarded contracts to friends and family members, and provided contracts to former employees to ensure loyalty. The suit names the NRA as a whole, but also names four current and former NRA executives. Executive Vice President Wayne LaPierre, General Counsel John Frazier, former Chief Financial Officer Woody Phillips, and former Chief of Staff Joshua Powell. Folks, we have video of that news conference? Okay. Um, I don't know why we... Okay. Um, first of all, let's bring in Greg Carr, which allowed me some time to pull some video up. We should have had that video. Um, uh, let's go to, uh, so Greg, this, this suit by James, people may not realize the NRA, the two groups, you have the NRA nonprofit, and then of course you have the NRA that's, that's a 501c4, uh, which allows for them to be able to be engaged in political lobbying, things along those lines. 
uh, but but the foundation, it is lo it is headquartered there, was chartered in New York. Donald Trump was asked about it. He said, oh, they should just move to Texas uh, and live great. Uh, not that simple, because when you're chartered in that state, guess who has to give permission for you to get chartered to go somewhere else? The attorney general. Greg, what do you make of uh, this sister dropping the hammer on the NRA today? Well, you know, Letitia James is a known quality, a uh, product of the Howard University School of Law. So, uh, but she came, she came to hustle that way. So, in other words, this is not the one to mess, mess with. I mean, between what Cy Vance is doing and what Letitia James is doing, uh, it's really clear where uh, the man whose mind is melting, uh, where, where, what he's preoccupied with. He knows it's just a matter of time before he goes down. In terms of the NRA, you know, whether it be the failure of their NRA TV project or their attempt to, to, to you know, to brand themselves. Wayne LaPierre been wearing those expensive suits for years. And, you know, there's something about power when you have it, uh, many people, that gives you a sense of impunity, like you can't get got. And I'm glad that uh, you led out the show with Linda Johnson and the, and the Voting Rights Act. I got some good friends who are down in Montgomery right now, actually, to, uh, took their families down to go see to be there in Montgomery for the celebration of the 55th anniversary of the passage of the Voting Rights Act. And this, once again, is a reminder of why elections matter. Because uh, Letitia James ran for office. It's not an appointed office. So if you want to see change, you better put somebody in here who is capable. And Letitia James will have the scalp of the National Rifle Association on her belt at some point. Uh, this, this is uh, some of that news conference. Go to my iPad, please. Over charitable corporations and their trustees including the NRA. The NRA's influence has been so powerful that the organization went unchecked for decades, while top executives funneled millions into their own pockets. For years, the NRA diverted millions and millions of dollars away from its charitable mission for personal use by senior leadership to award contracts to the financial gain of close associates and family, and appeared to dole out lucrative no-show contracts to former employees in order to buy their silence and continued loyalty. This lawsuit specifically charges the NRA as a whole in addition to four individual defendants. One the first individual, longtime executive vice president Wayne LaPierre, who has been the face of the NRA for decades. Two, former treasurer and chief financial officer, Wilson Woody Phillips. Three, former chief of staff and the executive director of operations, Joshua Powell. And four, Corporate Secretary and General Counsel, John Frazier. These individuals in the NRA are charged with failing to manage the NRA's funds and failing to follow numerous state and federal laws, which contributed to the loss of more than $64 million in just three years. Since its founding in 1871, the NRA... Rishi, uh, that is, uh, again, a significant <laughs> indictment. And again, she says she wants them dissolved. 
Absolutely. And I have to let my petty flag fly here because <laughs> I recall when the New York Times endorsed Zephyr Teachout over Tish James. I recalled when Tish James was running for office, they tried to make it seem like she was going to be some kind of lackey to Governor Cuomo. But the world and the country saw today what happens when hashtag Black women lead. She is yeah. fearless. She has her shit together, and she's going to take them down. And guess what? I know a person who is sweating bullets, as Erica says it best, the son of a Klansman, because she has the Trump organization, all his criminal activity in her crosshairs as well. And so this is just the opening salvo for anything that uh, Tish James is capable of. So well, beware. And this, sh this shows the importance, Erica, of state attorneys generals, why they matter. Again, everybody keeps focusing on what's happening in the nation's capital. Remember, Keith Ellison left a congressional seat with them in the majority to become the attorney general of the state of Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. And Dr. Carr said it. Reese has invoked and laid the hammer down. Listen, elections matter. And when Tip O'Deal said decades ago that all politics um, are local, they're also very much so personal. When we think about the NRA, um, the um, Senate Democrats filed a report back in September of 2019 outlining the Finance Committee, um, committee outlining um, in a 77-page document the NRA's involvement with Moscow. And this is talking about before the run-up to the 2016 elections, right? So when we think about the malfeasance, when we think about the fleecing of America, when we think about how the NRA um, quickly pivoted to a white men-only drinking fountain, as it were um, now in this modern time, and have flown to the Caribbeans and taken African safaris with their families um, and have spent an exorbitant amount of money. Meanwhile, the Senate uh, Republicans, led by Mitch McConnell, um, still have not came to an agreement around continuing to support Americans during a public health crisis and an economic and housing crisis. So this is what people need to actually see and sit with and understand. As you have said, as Dr. Carlos Reese said, elections matter. Vote is a verb. Get prepared. Get ready to vote unless we want to see kind of the same running along that we continue to see in the policing of America, meanwhile telling you to abide by the rules. All right, folks, uh, let's talk about uh, Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, happening right now is the uh, National Association of Black Journalists, National Association of Hispanic Journalists virtual convention. Obviously, because of COVID, we were not able to assemble here in Washington, D.C. I'm Vice President Digital on the NABJ board. Uh, and today, uh, we uh, Vice President Joe Biden spoke to the organization and folks are raising questions about this comment that he had to make. Check this out. And by the way, what you all know, but most people don't know, unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things. Yes, and by the way, what you all know, but most Now, people the context of that, they were talking about uh, in terms of what he would do with Cuba. And so folks have been commenting on this whole deal. What is he talking about in diverse? One of the things that uh, he was speaking about there uh, that I've actually said for years that people don't quite understand. Part of the problem in this country, Greg, is when people say African-American and Latino. Well, when you say African-American in, in this country, you're talking about black people who are from Mississippi, Alabama, Texas. I mean, you can go all around the country. You're talking about people of African descent who are in this country. 
The difference, difference between Latinos is that point right there. Some places, Greg, they call them Latinos. Some places, they're Chicanos. Some places, they're Hispanics. You have uh, Afro-Latinos. Uh, You've got uh, white uh, Hispanics. Then you have individuals who are from different countries. And so, as somebody who's born and raised in Texas, Greg, that was one of those things that a lot of people would talk about. They would say, oh, no, 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 when you say Hispanic, Latinos, that's, uh, it's all the same. And I, and I kept going, no, it's not. I mean, there's a very different perspective. If you are Dominican from New York City, Cuban in Florida, Mexican in Texas, uh, and then other parts of the country, your thoughts? No, I agree wholeheartedly. And you know that, of course, as a son of Texas. Uh, years ago, 15, 20 years ago, I used to tell my students that out, I'd say, you know, you got Felix Trinidad Latinos and you got Oscar de la Hoya Latino. So in other words, all Latino means is the language that uh, of colonization. So I said, technically, I would prefer then they call us Anglos if you're going to do that. I mean, you're just talking about the language. But when you start talking about... Um, the, the, in fact, I've spent some time in, in Colorado, uh, maybe about 15 years ago, at the uh, charter school started by Corky Gonzalez, who was the, one of the leaders of the Azatlan movement, the independence movement. We go in the 1960s, Chicano was used in many ways as a word of empowerment. We're talking going back to the formation of La Raza, right? The race, the, the big organization that they had. And, and, and a lot of the kind of coalition, coalition with the Black Panthers and Yellow Peril, which was one of the organizations that, that Asian communities kind of put together. So that was, a, that was a very powerful word. Hispanic, of course, as you say, down where you from, you're talking about those Native Americans who were colonized by the Spanish. We would call them Mexicans and others. I mean, you know, they dispossessed the top third of Mexico. But when you say Latino, typically, it usually meant those who were colonized by the Spanish in the Caribbean or closer to the Atlantic. And, of course, they are heavily Afro-Latino. So, um, you know, this becomes a, a dangerous kind well, I'll, I'll end with this. Joe Biden is grappling with the same language that we all grapple with, which is language which tries to fit us in categories, demographic categories that are then used to weaponize our politics. And, 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 and as this country becomes majority non-white, and I don't want to use the word majority minority because white people are a global minority, as it becomes uh, majority non-white, I think we're going to see an increasing attempt to use those terms to divide and set at each other's throats these groups of folks who were colonized by the Spanish instead of the English, like we were. The, the, the thing there, uh, Reese, when, when we start talking about this here, I'm, obviously people have been commenting back and forth. Folks are like, oh, my God, Joe Biden, huge gaffe, you're screwing up. I get it. I get it how people break that down. But we do have to have this conversation because that's part of the problem. Like, like for instance, when, when you talk about uh, uh, we talk about uh, Latin, and I purposely always say Hispanic slash Latinos because you never know what, what group you're talking about. You have to deal with the realities that as we become a nation that's ca called a majority of people of color, you have to deal with this whole notion of white Hispanics. When I was at CNN, it was a trip. This thing came up, and, and, and we, were, we were on a conference call. Now, mind you, Reese, I'm from Texas. I know white Hispanics. I know people who said, no, I'm white. And I look mm -hmm. at somebody else who's like, no, I'm dark-skinned. I ain't white. I'm Hispanic. Yeah. So we were on this yeah. conference call, and one of the white senior executives goes, look, folks, uh, we, they, they, we were going over this whole issue of terms. They're like, you know, you know, white Hispanics don't exist. And somebody went, I'm sorry, I'm one. 
Then the whole call got quiet, and I went, I tried to tell y'all. <laughs> you know, and, and so the, so this whole distinction, you know, this, this whole idea, and so, sure, for the Biden team, like, you got to sit here and, you know, unpack and try to explain, well, this was the context of the statement. So it was real quick to say, boom, here's this 13-second or 20-second soundbite. But as we're moving towards 2043, you're going to have to deal with this because you just can't, you can't group Latinos, Hispanics in the same way you group African-Americans. Although we as African-Americans, we all think differently. The reality is we don't identify with another country but the United States. Those of us, of course, talk about, you know, Africa. But the reality is when you talk about Hispanic slash Latinos, they see themselves, many of them as, no, not Hispanic slash Latino, but Colombian, Mexican, Venezuelan, Dominican. And so even if they are born in America, they also are identifying with their family's home country. Your thoughts? I um, have absolutely no issue whatsoever with acknowledging that Latinos, Hispanic communities are completely diverse. They are absolutely not monolithic. And I think it is well worth anybody's efforts to understand how these differences play into perhaps their political um, affiliations and their decision-making. However, I absolutely do begrudge the notion that Black people are monolithic. Do not mistake the fact that we vote overwhelmingly Democratic as us being monolithic ideologically, how with our attitudes or anything like that, because that's just flat-out false. I don't understand why there even has to be a juxtaposition. And I, I, I understand that Joe Biden is not artful in how he says things. But I'm not just going to give him a free pass because you could have left the whole black part out of there, okay? You didn't even have to go there about black people, and you're actually incorrect. No, you don't have, uh, if you're talking specifically African Americans, then no, you don't have Colombian African Americans. You don't have all that. If you're talking about black people, black people are from all over the diaspora in this country. And so, what I want to see from Joe Biden and what I want to see from Democrats is to approach black people with the same amount of nuance and understand that we do have a different set of motivating factors and desires and try to, you know, to try to better understand that and accommodate that and bring us receipts and bring us policies that actually feed that instead of saying, I have the blacks, I have the black vote for me. If you don't vote for me, you're not black. But, sh- but, sh- but shouldn't we also do... But, Reese, shouldn't we also do that as well? Because here's what happens. We talk about... The black agenda. In fact, in about 10 minutes, we're going to have Ice Cube on. And he has a contract with black America. Well, right. what does it actually mean? Uh, then right. when, when folks talk about black churches, well, yeah. black church, Kojic ain't the same as AME, which is not the same as a black United Methodist church, which is not the same as a black Catholic church, which is not the same yeah. as a black Baptist church. And hell, within Baptist churches, you got Progressive National Baptist, you've got National Baptist Convention USA, full Gospel Baptist Fellowship. And so uh, this is where also I think that we have to also make those distinctions and force people to see us not simply as one group. I completely agree. And that's why I've been saying the entire time I've been on your show that we need to be making demands and that we need to be demanding that people bring receipts to us. We should not be allowed to be treated and take it for granted as the mules of the Democratic Party. We should be allowed to state, and it, and actually we shouldn't even be having to give this education in 2020 that black people are not monolithic. There's a whole ass Smithsonian that gives you a very good idea about the breadth and the depth of the black experiences in this country. And so yes, black people, some 
sometimes approach each other with a lack of nuance and a lack of respect for our different, um, you know, experiences. And even you have like the Eidos, which is sometimes hostile to black immigrants and things like that. There are a lot of different undercurrents in our own communities, but I just do not accept anybody trying to in any way suggest that the black community is monolithic, despite the fact that we do monolithically vote for Democrats when we vote. But there's a whole 50% of black people that don't even vote. And why is that? Because somebody is not meeting their needs and somebody is not recognizing for them the way that Democrats are aiming to recognize, well, what do Cubans want versus Colombians versus Dominicans versus Mexicans and versus all of these other groups? If somebody put that same effort towards the black community, you might not see 50% of black people staying at home and not voting for either party. Erica. Yeah, I completely agree with Reese. And then to think about, you know, all of the efforts um, and all of the gains that we've seen in this um, American experience has been um, for the blood, sweat, and tears of black people, um, black people, um, those groups that have allied with us. But it has been black blood. It has been black torture. It has been black trauma. It has been blackness that has moved this country forward. And so I, I definitely do agree. And I also do say that, you know, uh, because we are spending so much time fighting so many different um, parts of institutional racism that when you have groups that are able to um, kind of um, flex between white and um, whatever their demographic is, being black means that we are um, 100% black. We don't go home and take the suit off and um, or, you know, enter into a place of employment, literally. You know, there are people that do that figuratively, but we cannot take our skin off. Our skin is our skin. We're recognized black wherever we go. And so to that point, you know, um, as um, Biden continues his campaigning efforts, that a conversation continually needs to be had with him around the way that he definitely approaches and talks at our community because he was mm -hmm. not, in fact, uh, talking to our community. Uh, I don't really give a damn about Kanye yeah. West, but we do. I do have to uh, address this particular issue. Republican operatives are leading his effort to get on the ballot in certain states, such as Wisconsin. Of course, what he wants to do is uh, he wants to actually siphon votes away from Joe Biden for Donald Trump. Greg Carr, you got some dumbass people. I've been dealing with them on social media uh, saying, yeah, I'd rather vote for Kanye West than, than Joe Biden. And I'm going, if you think for a second, Kanye, in fact, he gave an interview with Forbes. Uh, and go to my iPad. He said that he wasn't running for president. He was walking for president, walking to win. Then when the person, when a reporter said, yeah, but you can't get 270 electoral college votes, his response was, I'm not going to argue with you. Jesus is king. First of all, let's just be clear. The Republican Party is dealing with an unstable individual who has mental illness uh, and are trying to use it to their advantage. Uh, many Republicans like Essie Cup and others have been blasting them for that. But let's just be real, real clear. If you were even thinking about voting for Kanye West, you're voting for Donald Trump. That's what the game is. And it's clear. Republican operatives are behind the effort. Actual Republican lawyers are handling getting the signatures to get Kanye West on the ballot in places like Wisconsin because they want to draw black votes. Of course. I mean, it's, it's, it's that simple, Roland. You said it. Um, human beings are not monolithic. No human, no human community is monolithic. But when we start talking about power, who has it and who doesn't have it, it usually congeals around groups who can work out a common agenda. Uh, the civil rights movement in this country, the, the black freedom struggle in this country, 
is really a struggle where we saw concessions by those people who have suffered, as as uh, as we heard, uh, we just um, heard Erica talk about it. You know, the domestic suffering. What our movement was advanced by international movements mm-hmm. and by international solidarity. Um, so when you see Kanye West, I mean, as long as this country can keep black uh, a, a black agenda within the four corners of the American state, right? It, it can police it differently. And I'm saying that because Karen Bass, for example, the New York Times did a long article yesterday on her and, you know, trying to make her apologize for going to Cuba several times, trying to be in. And that part of that is what Biden, I think, in his mind was trying to get out of his mouth today. You know, this whole notion that we have to stay domestic and stay focused domestically. When you see Kanye West, you're looking at somebody who is being used, who's clearly not well, who doesn't appear to be surrounded. Frankly, I'm looking at some of these things. Kim Kardashian is saying, I'm saying, yeah, bruh, you gonna you need some sisters around you now. Cause this one right here, I don't know if she's gonna try to make you make off with all your money or whatever. But uh, you know, I don't know who she's working with, but you're looking at somebody, this whole drama is being played out in a country where our people, unfortunately, are becoming more and more like the general American population. You know, celebrity yep. in the place of political organization, this yep. kind of thing. So so I guess what I'm saying finally, Roland, is that um we can't afford to mince words with this. A vote for West is a vote for Trump. And anybody says it's not, we don't got to argue with them. We should be too busy trying to get these people who ain't going to vote at all to the polls. So let's just let's ignore this, man, because that's exactly what they're trying to do. And to see, again, Republican operatives behind this, Erica, this is real simple. They are scared to death that Trump is going to lose. They see what's going on. Donald Trump only won in 2016 because fewer people voted. And what they want to do is they know he only won Wisconsin by 10,000 votes, Erica. And their whole deal is they know black folks are fired up. You got white progressives fired up. They are hoping to get 20, 30, 50,000 people to cast a ballot for Kanye as, as opposed to potentially voting for Joe Biden. That's the game that they're playing. Yep, it's the Jill Stein effect. It's literally watching a replay of 2016 happen right before our eyes. And so, honestly, for somebody to actually, um, either on their mail-in ballot or to actually go into a precinct and actually check the box for Kanye West should not have the right to vote. What Dr. Carr said about, um, and I think that that is an important point that really, really needs to be um, um, amplified about the celebrity presence um, in way of serious matters when we're talking about politics, when we're talking about setting precedents and um, ensuring protections, not only um, in federal institutions, but state and local institutions as we look at those down ballot races, is asinine, but it also speaks to where people's attentions um, is, um, how long, you know, when we talk, talked about memes and things of that nature, how people just take um, incredibly important, important information and condense it down to six seconds, which could be equated to disinformation. Uh, we're, we're in a, a real um, troubled spot here. And so, um, exactly your point that a vote for Kanye West is in fact a vote for Donald Trump, but it is also actually um, not even a vote um, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, what they're trying to do, uh, Reese, real uh, simple, Reese, they are scared to death, death of the black, of the black vote, vote in 2020. 
And so you will, they're going to throw everything at black people in the next 88 days in order to try to get this man to win. And that's why, Reese, I keep telling black folks, we better check the registration. We better sit here and if you're going to vote in person, vote during early voting. Don't wait till November 3rd because I'm black. Everybody listen to my voice. Mm -hmm. They are going to try to create lines that are four and six and eight hours. I'm telling you, they are do they are scared of black voters, Reese. Absolutely. And just and one just more one note about Kanye West. Um, to be clear, the Republican operatives that are helping him out are very incompetent. They are a band of really idiots, to be honest. And so the paperwork that he's been submitting to get on these ballots have so many errors. There's a lot of fraud involved. And so Kanye West needs to be more worried about not ending up in jail for election fraud than he does about getting on the ballot, because these white operatives are going to have his black ass in jail, and he will not have even <laughs> one electoral college vote. But, and the topic of black voters, yes, absolutely. And the one thing I really want to emphasize to people as well is that I know that people are scared about the post office. We're hearing about the intentional delays in service, sometimes taking people three weeks to get their mail. So it's very important, number one, to, to request an absentee ballot now so that you're you're the first to get it. But if but also keep in mind that in most places you can actually drop off, physically drop off your mail-in ballot. Well, so but, but hold on, stop, stop right there, stop right there, stop right there. I want yes. you to pin a pin. But I need people to remember that might be the case where you vote, but it not right. might not be the case elsewhere. I got people got to understand there are no national standards for voting. There are state and county standards. What right. your county does, it literally can change from a county in the same state. And so I, I, I need people to understand. Check the rules where you vote. That's why vote.org is important. Finish your point, reason. Yes, check the rules, absolutely, because as Roland said, it can be different everywhere else. But for those of you who have the option to drop off your ballot, it's a very, very good and safe way to do it. I dropped off my absentee ballot when I voted in this primary. So I would encourage you as another extra step that you can take if that option is available to you to yep. actually drop off your ballot because it's it, you don't have the margin of error in terms of relying on this postal service. All right, folks, got to go to a break. We come back. A conversation with Ice Cube about his contract with Black America. Yeah, I know all oh, y'all got some questions for that. And, uh, Reese, control yourself being on the same show with Ice Cube. All right, got to go to a break. We'll be back in just a moment or we'll Roland Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. How long is the video?
All right, folks, the Black Owned Company, Seek.com. They've got these great uh, virtual reality headsets right here. All you do is pop your phone, your cell phone, right into here, and then you can watch the content, the virtual reality content on their website, Seek.com. You can also watch uh, videos in 360 degree, and so this is what that particular headset is. And then, of course, uh, they have these great uh, headphones here, these Seek.com uh, headphones. Mira Spiegel is a sister from Ghana. She, of course, uh, is the inventor uh, of these 360-degree 4D sound, unbelievable. Uh, gamers love these headsets. The bass is off the chain. Uh, of course, it has a microphone where you can also speak, Bluetooth as well. And so you can also use that for conversations, for music, for videos, whatever you want to use. And so you get to get, you get to of course get a discount because you watch Roller Martin Unfiltered. Use this promo code right here, RMVIP2020. RMVIP2020. When you go to seek.com, C E E K. Dot com. And so we want you, of course, to support the Black-owned companies that also support what we do here at Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, uh, let's talk about policy. We were discussing that early in terms of what Black America wants. Well, Ice Cube uh, is one of the folks. He's more than a rapper. He's more than an actor. He's more than a philanthropist. He also cares deeply about the issues facing uh, black people, and he has really been uh, locked and loaded uh, for the last several months. If you follow him on social media, when it comes to what's been happening in the streets, police brutality, other issues, uh, he joins us right now from the West Coast. Ice Cube, how you doing, man? Yeah, yeah, what's up, Roland? How you feeling, man? Man, I feel great. Glad to have you uh, on the show. Uh, let, let's get right uh, to it. When, when did you... Uh, when did it hit you where you said, you know what, I've got to do something. I've got to help put something together to help our people. Um, you know, I, I had thought of a piece of uh, what's now called the contract with Black America. I had thought of a piece of it called the American Jobs Pact, uh, where it was a, just a great, you know, program where industry could work with uh, the community and government. And um, so, you know, I was, I was working on that idea uh, for a while. And then I, I ended up getting into the big three. Um, and, you know, to start a league, a pro league from scratch, you know, it kind of, you know, monopolized my time. So it really took me away from it. And, um, you know, we're four years into that, and that's rolling. We didn't get a chance to play this year. So um, I had a lot of time on my hands. So with this situation with George Floyd uh, and where the country is now understanding how much we need uh, uh, reform everywhere, you know, uh, overhaul, reconstruction of everything, um, I started thinking, you know, with, you know, a bunch of smart people. Uh, and we said, you know, let's think of something broad. Let's look at all the areas where systematic racism uh, or systematic exclusion is uh, keeping us from having uh, generational wealth. Um, and so in digging, you see where all the pitfalls are, where all the... the uh, obstacles, all the systematic stuff that keep us back that's happening in this country. And so that's what really started 
you know, us thinking that we need something broad that we can ask government and the private sector to be a part of. How do you respond when people say, man, look, I'm not trying to listen to some entertainer talking about these policy issues. You, sh you, you shouldn't be addressing this stuff. I shouldn't have to. Really, I shouldn't. But, you know, somebody's got to, um, you know, set something in motion that's more than just, you know, reforming one thing like the police. Um, you know, you reform the police. And if you leave the prison system in place, and the justice system in place, it's not going to matter. You know, we're, we're getting it from all ends, so everything has to be reformed at the same time. Um, of course, we welcome smarter people to come look at what we got and build off of it. You know, this is an Ice Cube's contract with Black America. This is a contract with Black America. So anybody can help us make it better. You know, we're not legislators, so we're not, we don't have to take it the whole way. We just got to present what we believe we collectively need and the change that we collectively need to get a foothold in this country. Uh, because the whole thing about, you know, it's all about education. Uh, and you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, if you don't have no boots, you ain't got no bootstraps. And we ain't got no boots. We need some boots. Well, we folks, pull ourselves up. Well, folks always uh, love to use uh, that phrase, the bootstrap. But the reality is, white folks d didn't pull themselves up by the bootstraps. Uh, they 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 received significant uh, governmental assistance. Dr. King talked about that when it came to to the uh, uh, the land that was distributed all across uh, this country. And we talk about the resources as well. But again, that's just one of those phrases that is always used to to, to make black folks believe that we have to do everything ourselves, as opposed to I mean, even now, I mean, you look, we're sitting here having a conversation, uh, you know, over uh, over this digital platform. The internet wasn't created by the private sector. Government created the internet. That's how Mark Zuckerberg is rich and the guys who own Google and the rest of all these tech CEOs. This was a government creation. Without a doubt. You know, the government just pulled $3 trillion out of a hat. And they bailed out a lot of big major companies. But how many black companies did they bail out? Um, you know, we're 13.5% of the country, uh, give or take. So we, we deserve 13.5% of that money to go into our communities to help us get a foothold. You know, the wealth gap is 10 to 1. Every, white, every uh, dollar that a white family has, a black family has 10 cents. And it's not getting closer, it's just getting bigger. Um, so, you know, that has to, that has to stop change and reverse. We have to, we have to catch up, uh, and we will never catch up at this pace. It's designed for us not to catch up and we got to break that design. Um, how many government contracts go to black, um, contractors? Yep. Um, we should be getting 13 point something percent of that. 
Well, this 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 week on the show, I, I, I've been calling out Young and Rubicam because they control the contract uh, when it comes to uh, you know getting the word out about the census. That's a more than three hundred million dollar contract, a hundred million that was supposed to go to Black Media and has gotten pennies. Now you know they finally are responding to us, but the fact is we I had to call them out, put them on blast on social media. That's the kind of stuff that should not happen. And the reality is we see this all across the board. And not only when we, and not only that, when we do get a contract, they devalue uh, the black business or the black consumer. And so they'll give us even less when it comes to that contract than somebody else who is appealing to a white audience. So even when we do get a contract, it's still less. You know, they got a thousand games and uh, we sick of the games. You know, it's time for for them to give us our just due. You know, um, this is something we're owed. This isn't something we're asking for or begging for. Um, we give all that tax money to the government and all they do is give it to their friends. You know, money don't trickle down. It always trickles up. It always trickles up. So you have to, you have to start at, you have to pump in cash to the bottom so it can pump up because it will, because everybody going to go buy something they need from somebody rich, probably that, you know, has a lot of it. So that's just how it is. Uh, this trickle down stuff, it never reaches us. Um, you know, it may trickle down, but it never gets to the bottom of that pyramid where, where we are, you know, we're relegated to the bottom in a systematic fashion. And, it just we got to break that up. It got to stop. So let's go through your agenda here. First of all, you have something called cream of the crop training centers. Uh, you also talk about mandatory community volunteering, teaching workforce discipline, uh, living stipend. I mean, it, it, you go on and on and on. And they, and 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 so uh, going through this, going through this. Um, um, how comprehensive did you want to be? Because earlier you said, look, you can't just talk about police reform, but then, of course, you're still dealing with the building of jails. And so how comprehensive did you want to be and get with this? I just wanted it to be some kind of start for us to have a broad plan that we can build on and get it to a point where you know, I mean, walking in and asking for all of this at the same time, you know, could be daunting. But if we got big chunks that we reach and grab for, we can get there. Um, so it's a process. Like, you know, I'm not trying to be a politician. I'm not trying to run for nothing. I'm just trying to help black people wherever I can. Because, uh, I, you know, as, as Martin Luther King say, I've been to the mountaintop. And I seen it ain't nothing there for us, and 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 that ain't cool. So I, we need we need a place for us at the mountaintop, and so you know that's just what it's that's what it's about on mine. So you know this was you know this are to me our Declaration of Independence. Mm -hmm. This is something that we all can jump behind as a community and say I might not know everything that's in there, but I know we need help and we need uh, a fair shake. Um, you know, it's not asking for much. 13.5% uh, of the country belongs to us, and we're not getting that. And if we got it, you know, um, white folks probably wouldn't even see us because we'd be in our own communities having a good old time, and, and we'd probably, you know, they'd probably be 
you know, showing up to where we at. So um, that's just the real. We got, we gotta, we gotta get this. We and it, we gotta get what we owe, and that's just it. You you call this the case for neo reconstruction, and and this is what you lay out. Neo reconstruction is an aggressive initiative meant to redress past wrongs systematically imposed on Black Americans economically throughout many generations. Wrongs that have had a severe negative impact on African Americans, both economically and educationally. The specific case and plan for neo-reconstruction is presented later in the document. You say a commission will immediately be formed and empowered to quickly put the plan into action. Separately, a plan will also be devised to make Native Americans whole within the same timeline. Black Americans will be compensated for the value of work contributed by their ancestors, while Native Americans will get back the true value or land promised to them in various treaties. For black Americans to be eligible, they must provide documentation proving their descent from at least one enslaved person. They must also prove they have identified as black or African-American for at least 10 years prior to the institution of the reparations program. So let's unpack that. And I'm also pulling my panel in just a second as well. So y'all get y'all questions ready. First, I call this the third reconstruction. We've seen so much movement happening after the death of George Floyd. The first reconstruction took place, of course, 1865 to 1877, uh, which W.B. Du Bois uh, uh, documents in his book, uh, Black Reconstruction. Then, of course, you get the second reconstruction that took place, which is really 1954 to 1968 or 1970, uh, where the Black Freedom Movement uh, is, of course, that was the focus. And we've seen now this, this, this renewed focus on race and inequality. And we have, we have seen these various things happen on the corporate side. But I keep saying you have to think about it in much bigger and broader terms and not just a moment, but literally a 10 to 20 year plus plan that when you use, think of reconstruction. And so with that in mind, you have folks who, I'll start first, who said, I, Cube, why are you putting Native Americans in here? Why isn't this just for black people? Well, black people are Native Americans. You know, we, we've had, you know, a lot of uh, proof that, you know, some of us started here in this land. Uh, we weren't, everybody wasn't brought over from Africa. So, you know, we have to, like you say, unpack all of that and, and, and try to, you know, find the true lineage of people in this country uh, because some, uh, you know, I used to tease family members who would say, you know, I got a little engine in me. I would think they didn't want to be all the way black. But when I really do the research, a lot of them did have a little engine in them. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we want to be counted on all levels, not just... Um, you know, through slave ships. Like I said, you know, we were here before Columbus. So uh, a lot of us. And, and so uh, we want to make sure that's included and not excluded. And, and that section that you're talking about when it comes to uh, uh, geo reconstruction was actually put together by uh, Chris Boussard, who's uh, the sports analyst and uh, an economist by the name of Rob... I I can't remember his last name, so excuse me for that. But uh, they helped us with that section. You know, nothing is written in stone. Mm -hmm. Everything can be 
You know, there's, to me, smarter people who've been working on this their whole life, their whole career, that can jump in and give us a better way to get to, you know, the, the promised land, so to speak. But, uh, you know, like I said, this is just a, a, a placeholder mm-hmm. for for us to to be able to build on, a foundation for us to be able to, to build a, a, a beautiful house on. So, um, you know... Nothing written in stone. It's all open for debate. Uh, but we have to present a broad plan to America uh, for us to be able to, to take broad steps and not just get these crumbs. You say also to be eligible, we must provide documentation proving their descent from, from at least one enslaved person. Isn't that also difficult when the pro- problem is, for many of us, we can't prove lineage because of documentation? Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure there's, you know, a few different ways we can figure that out. You know, like I said, that's just one way. Um, You know, I'm pretty sure smart people can get together and we can figure out 10, 12 different ways to figure out, you know, you know, if you you were not a descendant of slavery, you know, I'm not sure if you should participate in this. Um, So... You know, we got to figure that out some way, somehow. That's just one suggestion. Got it. I want to go to my panel now. I want to bring them in with their questions. Uh, I will start off with the head of Afro-American Studies at Howard University, Dr. Greg Carr. Thank you, Roland. Brother Q, man. Hey, how you doing? You took me back. To, all right, bro. You took me back to 1991, man, on a death certificate, <laughs> on the death side. A bird in the yeah, head. Man. Anybody want to? Oh, yeah. Anybody want to know about reparations? They can start with that two minutes and eighteen seconds, brother. You laid out just how we got where we got to get. I mean, so where we are now. But I, I want to say uh, this really reads like a political tract. In other words, a kind of declaration of independence of sorts. And so, rather than to get into details, and I saw it's got to leave comments. So I'm be leaving some comments, brother, and we'll work out some of this stuff. You know, anything we can do to help, we'll do that. Um, and I saw you got my man Derek Hamilton involved. Good brother. Uh, yes. He was at Ohio State. Now I moved to the East Coast. So, so you got some of the best minds in the country on it. I want to ask you uh, really just a very broad question about what your next step is in terms of where you, where, where you now want this kind of declaration to be engaged and worked with. Because clearly, I mean, 13.4%, that makes sense. We want to get that percentage in education, economics. But then I'm sure people will say, well, if you, if you want 13.4% of everything, and at the same time, you want to fund black studios or subsidize HBCUs, how does that work mm-hmm. in terms of integration? And then there's federal, state, and local ways to execute. What, what's your next step now that you've made this Declaration of Independence? What do you want people to do now to engage this work? Well, I mean, spread the word. You know, a lot of people um, understand how powerful their vote is but they're not really sure what they want to get behind or, you know, they just see a candidate and, and, and see a name. And this is something we can, um, you know, I'm going to put it in a bite-sized uh, form. You know, it's 27 pages right now. So I'm going to put it in a form where it's, it's something that people can really grasp real quick and, 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 and hopefully get behind it. I think we need a grassroots push on this where we can go and approach, you know, we have different uh, connections with, you know, uh, all the politicians, the big names that's running, um, you know, in, in Congress, 
uh, in in uh, in in you know, of course, on the president, both candidates. So so we got you know uh, access to the right people. We just need that groundswell. We need that you know the the, the man on the street to really get behind and say, yo, we do need something like this, a contract with Black America. You know, from there, I think, you know, that's the pressure we go to to people and tell them, yo, sign this if you want our vote. Um, and, and then we go from there. You know, there's two different, like I said, there's two different um, approaches. You know, we're going to the government for things we think the government should have been doing a long time ago. And we also go into the private sector. You know, there's something we call cookie jar companies. These cookie jar companies are companies that we catch with their hand in the cookie jar that we realize are making money or have been making money off black pain, uh, you know, for either, you know, centuries or or decades. And those companies got to pay up. You know, it's called paying a fine. You can call it reparations or whatever you want to call it, or you can't, you don't have to call it none of that, but you have to pay for what you've done to uh, to put us in this condition, and um, or to help keep us in this condition. Because a lot of people aren't racist; they're individualists. So they 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 might not, you know, uh, say they might not adhere to the to the racist system, but they don't mind tapping in as an individual and get what what they can out of it. And so. We got to kill that kind of thinking and say we got to make it right for everybody, and the whole country will benefit. Yes, sir. I, I want to pick up. Absolutely right. I want to pick up on that point there before uh, it, Greg give another question. Or I'll actually what I'll do is I'll go to uh, Erica and Reese, and then we'll come back another round of questions. People are already criticizing, saying, "Well, wait a minute. Um, um, why won't you call this a complete reparations plan?" Uh, you say, look, you can call it that. You don't have to call it that. Uh, and then there are others who say, no, it has to be called that. Uh, and they want certain things set in stone. Is your position, look, put your own plan together, but this is just what yours is. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't think we should get caught up with wordplay. You know, um, I mean, a check is a check. And, you know, we're trying to give, you know, some some kind of, compensation for what has happened in a way that can be paid actually um so it can be done in a lot of different ways you know uh maybe we tax you know we don't pay taxes for a, a century or two you know it could be different ways that can help us catch up you know it doesn't really um matter how we get to what's called reparations long as we get there and we can come up with several different formulas to help us get there that is, that the country can swallow you know at the end of the day you know we have to make this um palatable you know where it can be done um excuse me it can be done with no issues you know it can be done with uh you know you know no sweat off the back so to speak Next question, Erica. Yeah, thank you so much, Ice Cube, for this. And um, in reading through your con um, your contract, specifically to section uh, the judicial and public policy section, where you address um, 
the military, which I was really glad to see. I am a former uh, veteran of the United States Air Force. And in that section, you talk about the percentage of people, black folks that are in the military. And then um, for the enlisted members, um, we make up about 43% of um, black military members. Uh, could you just address when you talk about, you go down a little bit further, talking about the DOD allocating 5% back to black neighborhoods for beautification projects as a way to further instill patriotism. Can you just kind of like walk the audience and talk about um, how that section really came to be and um, what are the outcomes that you all are hopeful for putting that clause in? Um, well, you know, we believe that it's, it's, a, it's a national security issue. Um, you know, over 17% uh, of, you know, of the military made up of what, if I got the numbers right, and I'm not a number, if I got these numbers right, over 17% uh, of the military is black, you know, but we're 13% we're of the country. So we're doing more than our share. And so that little overage of that budget that the military gets should be put into the community that the soldiers come from. Because, um, you know, that makes a difference on what kind of soldier you have. You know, you got a guy who is proud and comes from a neighborhood that he wants to fight for. Or you got a guy, you know, trying to escape his neighborhood and don't really want to be in the military, but just there because he want to get out the hood. Um, it, you know, so we got to do something and give back. I always said, like, the National Guard. What are y'all doing today? I mean, you you was on the street the other day, you know, pushing people back. But what are you doing today? Why you can't be beautifying the neighborhoods? Why you can't be doing things to help the country, um, you know, have a little more pride and dignity instead of just training, you know, hut, hut, gun, gun, shoot, shoot. You know, how much of that can you do? Actually get out and do something for the people and not just wait for a riot. So... The military can step up and do a lot of things that need to be done in our neighborhoods and just a slither of their budget. You know, maybe they can't buy one helicopter. Maybe they can't buy one, you know, super bomb or bunker buster or whatever. So what? You know, put it back into the communities that these soldiers come from and uh, you'll get a better soldier. Uh, you'll get a better community and you'll make people actually be proud of the military in these communities um, and not the other way around where, you know, they could care less. Racy. Hi, Ice Cube. Um, so good to see you. Um, I looked through your contract for Black America, and I one thing that stood out to me is there were at least a dozen bullet points um, in which I could, off the top of my head, name specific legislation from Senator Kamala Harris alone. And I don't know if you know, but Cory, Senator Cory Booker um, actually put forth the H.R. 40 Commission to study reparations. And so I'm wondering if at all in putting this together, has anybody looked at specific legislation that's already in the Congress, whether it's in the Senate or House of Representatives, and see how that lines up? Like, for instance, the Justice and Policing Act has things like ending qualified immunity and banning chokeholds and things like that. Um, and if you would be interested in doing a congressional scorecard or trying to attach these things, because on a, you know, in, in a contract, it seems like these broad 
concepts, but there actually is a lot of work that's already being done by uh, members <clears throat> in the Congressional Black Caucus. So I'm wondering if, if that's a potential next step. You mentioned having relationships with people that are in politics. So that, that would just be my recommendation as a way of actually showing that these are tangible things that can be accomplished and as a, as a way of advocating for specific politicians that are more in line with the things that you've laid out in this document. Yeah, I mean, we definitely want to, you know, present it to them. You know, we was definitely trying to, you know, fine-tune things. And then, you know, hearing from, you know, uh, you know, people like Derek Hamilton. Uh, we, we also been talking to Andrew Young, who uh, who spent, you know, an hour with us on, on a Zoom to really, you know, give us just a little bit of, of his insight on how to get things done in a major way. Um, but yeah, you know, we know people who are connected to Corey, uh, Cam, uh, Kamala, Kam Kamala, damn, All right. and, uh, sorry about that name. That, that's your California Senator. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, we got people that, that know Bernie and, and, uh, Biden and even people that know, um, Trump's people. So we know people that, that can... Um, that we want to put this in front of their face and get them behind it. But we just felt like we needed to, you know, get people, you know, like my man rolling behind it uh, and, and other people to get behind it to get a, give us a little momentum so we're not just going in there, you know, a celebrity with, with a plan, but, you know, uh, black people that, that folks listen to with a plan. So that's, that's how we want to go and approach because we want to go in with a little leverage because, you know, we're not going in to, to play nicey nights. We want, we want this done and we need this done. And, and, uh, or, or, you know, to me, you don't get our support if you're not signing on to doing something as broad as this. Back to Dr. Greg Carr. Thank you, Roland. Um, Brother Cube, thinking about, and this is really along the lines of what Reese has raised, and I'm glad that you talked about the the nature of celebrity and, and, and doing what you can do with your platform to make the most impact. I mean, you know this history better than, than I do. In fact, you were there for, for, for part of it. Um, early in the, the kind of hip-hop generation, so to speak, certainly by the mid to late 80s, there was a moment when there was an attempt to politicize uh, hip-hop artists in particular, Stop the Violence, Karis One, all that kind of, kind of thing. Um, and then, of course, we have a long history in this country, Paul Robeson, Nina Simone, you know, lending their support to causes. I'm thinking, and you said you're going to streamline this some, or at least create a version that may be streamlinable. There was a time around 1972, the Gary Political Convention, Black folks came together. They tried to generate a Black agenda report card and say, whatever you're doing, running for state, local office, your policymaker, movement person, we've got this 10-point plan, 15-point plan. We want you to answer us on these points. Which one are you going to support? How are you going to support it? So like Reese said, you got policymakers who are doing work. Here's where I'm going with it. Given your platform and your business acumen, your ability to, to kind of use your platform and then your business talent to really create institutional structures, what about perhaps creating a political action committee? And so instead of going to politicians, going to policymakers, going to community activists and folks, you're stationary, generating with your celebrity and with that platform 
support from people all over. And then you basically create a platform and a space where it's almost like you're a queen or king make, kingmaker. Here are our points. Now, you're running for judge. You're running for a local official. You're running for a police commissioner. Come here. Here are our 15 points. Which one do you support? And if you support it, we then back you maybe some financial contribution, maybe some form of get-out-the-vote campaign. But what it allows you to do finally is finally solve this challenge that we've had all along, which is how do we get celebrities involved to use that leverage to the most, the greatest effect. I think a political action committee around this agenda might be one of the ways you can do that. And that's a great idea. You know, uh, I would love your help in doing that. Um, you know, I, I believe, you know, this to me, I'm not new to politics, but I'm new in this arena. And, you know, of course I want to do what was most effective. Um, you know, we have leverage. We have to learn how to use it. And so any way we can consolidate our leverage and let people know that you got to come see us because in local um, elections, state elections, the black vote is the vote, usually the deciding vote. When we come out, we can make it happen. When we don't come out, anything can happen. So... Um, we have to use that, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, we got to weaponize that leverage and make politicians do what we ask. Um, you know, politicians, what I put together, they know all those numbers. You know, it's nothing new. It's not like, you know, I came up with some, and when I say I, I mean all the, the, the smart people that helped me put it together. It's not like we came up with something that people haven't been talking about or understand how it works. It's just political will. And that's what we have to create, mm -hmm. political will. We have to make them do it. Well, look, I mean, exactly ask, right. I mean, I mean that, that's the thing. When you, when you and I talked, um, uh, and Reverend Jackson mentions this all the time, Mr. Farrakhan mentions this all the time. Numerous people do when A. Philip Randolph met with President Delano, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, laid all his issues out, and he said, Philip, you're absolutely right. Now go make me do it. That was a thing that I, I, I said, and I was on record. I felt black people, we, we stayed at the inauguration parade of Obama, both parades, and did not uh, say, this is what we want. The reality is, I don't care even if we got black, a black president or a black governor or a black mayor or a black county government official, you have to make a series of demands and say there's a return on investment when it comes to my vote. And the reason black media is so important, and Q, I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well, is because my problem as somebody who's been, been committed to media since I, was, since I was 14 is that black media today is filled with a bunch of folk who spend more time rewriting what white media writes. They spend more time on gossip and entertainment, uh, on who's dating who, who's screwing who, who had a baby. 
and not providing enough information. And when you talk about how do you use your voice, again, when I'm calling these companies out when it comes to not advertising with us and, and, and not investing, that's how you use the bully pulpit. That's what Robert Abbott did with the Chicago Defender. That's what A.I. Scott did with uh, the Atlanta Daily World. That's what uh, Louis Martin did uh, with the Michigan Chronicle and Chuck Stone when he ran the Chicago Defender. And I could go on and on and on, yet, the problem is, if you don't have your media apparatus, let me look at Fox News. Rupert Murdoch uses Fox News, the New York Post, and the Wall Street Journal to advance his agenda. And black folks had better realize, if you do not have a militant black media, as Dr. King said in Chaos or Community, where do we go from here? If you do not have a militant black media, you do not have a voice to speak to your interest. That's real. Um, and they try to shut us off, shut us out, um, won't advertise with us. You know, my man, um, you know, Byron Allen going through the same situation. You know, you, you get the asset and uh, nobody wants to, you know, spend money with that asset. And, you know, uh, we spend much money in this country. And once we learn the power of our pocket purse and pocketbook, we will be able to get some of the things that we deserve. But, you know, they know no matter what we're going to spend, we're going to go buy the new this, the new that, because we're so busy wanting to floss on each other and show each other we're not poor when we are. Um, and so uh, once we get that out of us and stop spending that money and realize how much money we do spend um, and, you know, hold that and hold people accountable for what they're doing, we'll get what we want. You know, we got to use the power that we have. And it's definitely in the dollar. It's definitely in the vote. Um, you know, and it's definitely shedding light on things that's done in the dark. Erica. Yeah, and I'm so glad, um, Cube, that you talked about consolidation and leveraging. And I'm just going to kind of continue on from where Dr. Carr left off and um, ask you um, specifically, the Black Futures Lab had a Black agenda that they rolled out, I believe, a year or so ago. And so you talked about grassroots. Um, you're here on Roland Martin Unfiltered, number one Black media program. Um, have you considered in connecting with other uh, grassroots organizations that, you know, may be adjacent to you and saying, OK, well, you all have a black agenda. I have a contract. You know, we, you know, all had these brilliant minds. Um, perhaps we can team together um, and then um, leverage those connections that they have. Um, having been grassroots organizers to really filter this down into um, the crevices of the black community. Yeah, I would love to work with, you know, any group that's out there, you know, doing the work um, to, to it, you know, that's been doing the work. Um, like I said, I'm new to this political arena, so to speak, even though I've, I've you know, always, always use my music to try to, you know, um, you know, show people what's up. You know, I call it street knowledge. And so... Um, you know, I'm down to work with people who've been doing the work. You know, they, they you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure they have great ideas, some better than mine or ours. And, um, you know, this is this is a a, a, a growing, uh, to me, you know, movement is overused. But to me, this is a, a, a growing 
um, document that really needs to be looked at. And, and it's like, yo, kid, we got a better way to do this. Uh, man, we could do this a little bit better. Or we've tried this already, and here's how it works. You know, what, what Andrew Young was telling us was, you know, private, you know, put the pressure on private uh, businesses a lot more, uh, mm-hmm. you know, than we had planned to at first. You know, we was like, the selection is coming. Let's go straight after mm-hmm. the government. But we got to put the pressures on the CEOs. We got to get them in the room and we got to get them to agree because they can make things happen without legislation. Uh, they can make things happen overnight. Uh, they can they can uh, cut a check and get it going. So we got to let people know how much uh, we spend with all these companies and, and we got to use that leverage. But we all got to get on the same page. I agree with that. And we have a short window as far as when it comes to influencing these politicians that's trying to get elected. But we got a long road when it comes to really um, implementing, you know, all these um, different, you know, aspects of the contract with America, with black America. Racy. Um, Cube, I'm curious, what role did black women play in crafting this contract? Because, and I don't mean this as a criticism, I didn't really see that perspective really reflected in the fact that black women have unique challenges and were disproportionately impacted by things like um, maternal mortality and the wage gap and things like that, in addition to the impact that black men experience. So I'm just wondering if any thought had been put into that in terms of including the, the impacts to black women specifically in your contract for black America. I would love to have a whole section, but to answer your question, not enough. You know, we've had input, uh, but but not enough. You know, we, we need to, you know, to think about the things that we, we haven't thought about. We, we actually need a black uh, women's section, uh, black girls and, and teenage section in, in this contract because there's tons of issues that, that's just not, not not there that, you know, need to be dealt with. And, and so we would love help to just, you know, continue to grow this thing and make sure that we're touching all the bases and we're getting rid of as much pain uh, as possible when it comes to things that's happening to black people, men, women, and children. Just let our panel know we've got uh, 11 minutes left uh, in, in this interview here. But to that point, for people who want to read about it, if they want to volunteer input, is there a site y'all have set up where they can go to to contribute? Yeah, it's a site we got called uh, uh, contractwithblackamerica.com. Um, and it's, it's right now it's pretty much a document, but it, we're going to grow. You know, it's going to grow. We're going to add, you know, uh, we want input from people. We, we, we need... Um, you know, we need to just organize, you know, that that's really uh, what we're trying to do with the site. Um, and we need help. We need help to organize and uh, make sure that, you know, we're not leaving no stone unturned when it comes to bringing people into this space and having, you know, one grand document that we, we can all push for in the same direction. Uh, not trying to, you know... Um, ignores the wrong word, but but uh, minimize what the work that other people are doing, 
You know, we just need something broad across the board. And, you know, we have to add to this. Um, but, but yeah, you know, this, this to me is something that's, that's, you know, terribly needed. Uh, I'm trying to pull the website up, and so I'm having some issues here. Is it contractwithblackamerica.com? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll pull with black with blackamerica.com. Okay, I'll pull up in just a second. Uh, now, Cube, I think I think it's actually contractwithblackamerica.us. Got it. Yeah, that's what I because I was it's looking. .us. Hold up. Hold up. Yeah. yeah. It is. Uh, I think that's it. Yes, right? it's .us. Uh, com is taken, but there's nothing on it. So it's all good. We together. We that's, that, together. That's, why, that's why we check. We verify. Yeah. It's all good. We, we, we verify. So, uh, Anthony, go ahead and go to my iPad. And so, folks, if you actually go to contractwithblackamerica.us, you'll actually see uh, the contract uh, as written here. Uh, there are people who have already left comments on here as well, and so uh, you can go uh, do you can do that uh, right now. Uh, I put my I put my I put my contact on there, cube man. So anything we can do to help, brother, I'm with you. Uh, last round. Go ahead. Go ahead. Get my, get, get my contact from. Uh, oh, I got it. I got it. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm I'm hooking y'all up right now. Last round of questions, <laughs> Greg Carr. No, 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 no. Listen, man. I, I think. Uh, I'll just say this, and I won't even ask a question. I'll just make this comment. Brother, like, you've been serious for a very long time, and you've been walking a fine, tightrope. And these last couple of months, I see, you know, whenever they see somebody that's going to challenge the system, they try to come get you. But if they're going to come for the king, they better not miss. So anyway, uh, <laughs> th 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 this is the way I think that you, you're, you're showing a way for other folks who have platform to be able to leverage it the best way. So all I can say is... Uh, you, I'm a recruit in the army. I know. I know. I'm sure Reese and Eric feel the same way. We here, brother, and we gonna help you. So thank you for doing. I appreciate this. that. I, you know, we need. Like I said, we need all hands on deck. We need all the smart minds to work in. You know, in double time, so we can have something that's solid, and we don't miss anything. You know. Um, you know, we we definitely need a section when it comes to women's rights, black women's rights. Um, and so we, we, I would love help on that section because, uh, we want to have balance and we, we need balance to be able to, to have a great community. It can't be one side or the lopsided. So I appreciate it. Yeah. They coming after me, not because they think, you know, I'm anti anything It's because of this contract right here, but that, no you know, I ain't listening to that stuff. <laughs> ain't nothing going to stop me. Uh, yes, Erica, do you have a final question for Ice Cube? Not a final question, but just um, a comment to Mr. Jackson. Um, just watching your matriculation from your music um, and just really reading through this document, I thought about Boys in the Hood and a lot of the points that were made um, during that um, seminal film um, up into the place that you are now. And just um, say congratulations and um, anything that we can do to help and push this forward, um, we're absolutely right here to do that. I appreciate it. Thanks, thanks, thanks for that. Thanks for uh, that. Um, you know, it's just great, you know, to have, um, you know, people into to this contract, you know, I think is needed. And, and to have people respond in a positive way is cool. Um, you know, it's just really time for us to get busy. Reese, do you have a final question? Uh, final comment. Um, I, I just want to say I extend my, uh, my, my offer of help to you. I'm not as 
as cool as Dr. Carr is, but um, I'd, I'd absolutely be um, interested in helping, particularly uh, bridging that gap and, and showing how there is legislation that, you know, perhaps might actually answer the mail in a lot of these things. But I do want to, you know, encourage you to continue doing what you're doing. I, I see some things that, you know, I know will attract the social media critics, but some people criticize and some people do. And so thank you for your hard work on this contract. Man, thank everybody in there because, um, you know, I know everybody has dedicated their, you know, passion to, to helping us solve this problem. So, you know, everybody has put in work. You know, I, I know Roland been putting in work, you know, ever since he's he been popping on TV telling <laughs> us what it is. So, and, and so, you know, God bless everybody in there. Let's keep fighting a good fight. You know, we're going we gonna to get what we need to get. The uh, last point uh, uh, that I will uh, make here that I think is really important uh, is that um, what you are doing is in the exact same vein. And I, and I need, and, and Greg, I want you to, you're going to come in, I need you to comment on this because I need our audience to understand this, especially the people out here who want to be critical of Ice Cube, who want to be critical of T.I., who want to say what entertainers should not be doing. Let, let me remind you. Paul Robeson, Renaissance man, brother who was involved in the battle for human rights, passes the mantle to Harry Belafonte. Harry Belafonte, singer, actor, but very much involved in social activism. Uh, what, 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 what benefited African-Americans and others. He aligned with Dr. King, Dick Gregory, involved in it, pretty much gave up his comedy career for the movement. Uh, Harry Belafonte created a group called Sankofa, uh, which is all about bringing entertainers together, especially black entertainers, to get involved in these issues. Jesse Williams has been involved in that. Jamie Foxx has been involved in that. And so many others. I know that because I've talked to him on these issues. So what I need people listening and watching to understand is that this, as Cube has said, it's all hands on deck. Everybody has a responsibility. He has millions of followers. He can reach folk who don't watch this show. But this show also allows for him to be able to express this in an hour as opposed to a six or eight minute segment on a CNN or MSNBC that's unfiltered for folks uh, to be able to listen to. And everybody has a role to play. And the last point, uh, I'll say this before Cube giving you the final final word here, is that you said something that's critical. You are not trying to lead this. You are not trying to say I'm the savior. You are saying I need all y'all with input to join with us because it ain't going to happen with generals. Generals need troops if you order to win the war. Final comment. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, we, we all got to get in where we fit in. You know, it's our turn. You know, we've sat back and watched other, you know, people take the mantle and, and try to advance our uh, community forward. And now, you know, it's, 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 it's our turn. It's our turn to take that mantle and use our influence and try to push our community forward. And, you know, when you criticize celebrities for giving a damn, you know, because we actually lose more money doing stuff like this than we make. Mm. So if we didn't love you, we wouldn't do it. Uh, we would just, you know, keep our mouth shut and keep making our money 
and and don't make no white folks mad, you know. But but you know what difference do it make if if I'm rich and nobody else in my family is? So you know, it's really all about all of us making it, all of us um, getting you know what we deserve in this country because our ancestors have built it. We continue to to uh, build it build it in our own way. So. Um, that's all I got to say, man. You know, we, we doing it because we love you and not because, um, we just trying to show out, uh, and we definitely not trying to make more money doing it. You know, it's, it's really all about, you know, uh, doing what it takes at the moment of truth. Well, the point that you just made uh, is critically important, and you're absolutely right. Uh, we People sit here and tell an entertainer, uh, shut up and be quiet. And they can do that, but then, but then they're not involved. And to your point about you being rich and, other, and not caring, Jackie Robinson called his book, I Never Had It Made. And he wrote, he said he called it that because he said if one African-American uh, was being impacted by racism and poverty, then he didn't have it made. I do, uh, I do also want to say this here, Cube, uh, about 20 minutes into today's show while you were talking, uh, Anthony, go to my iPad. Uh, we crossed the 600,000 subscriber mark on our YouTube channel while we were talking, yeah. folks. We started with 157,000 23 months ago. We now have 600,000 of you, and so we appreciate, we all appreciate y'all also. We have 10,600 members of our fan club. Go back to the graphic, Anthony. 2,600. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks by the end of the uh, each uh, by the end of the year. That allows us to remain independent and free to say what we need to say. You got a Cash App, PayPal, Venmo. You can also, uh, of course, mail it in. Ice Cube, man, I appreciate you joining with us. Anytime you want to come on, just let me know. We'll make it happen. I appreciate. Uh, I appreciate you, man, and uh, everybody in the room. You know, let's let's keep fighting a good fight and uh, get what we supposed to get. Absolutely. Ice Cube, thanks a lot. Take care. All right. Yay, yay. All right, folks. Again, uh, we want y'all to support what we do here, Roller Martin Unfiltered, and join our Brain the Funk fan club. Shout out to uh, Paul Patterson for sending in a donation, Melvin Booker, uh, Johnny Hill, uh, Arena, uh, Arena Neptune, and also Ralph Taylor. Uh, for And if you want to support what we do, uh, please, you can mail your uh, money over to New Vision Media, NU Vision Media, Inc., 1625 K Street, Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2006. Cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal.me forward slash R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo.com is RM uh, Unfiltered. We also, folks, uh, want you to know that, uh, of course, uh, you can now get the Roland Martin Unfiltered audio podcast on iHeartRadio. On iHeartRadio. Radio, And so uh, they uh, are distributing our podcast to all platforms. And so you can go to the iHeartRadio app uh, to actually get that as well. And so we appreciate all of that. I want to quickly read these names if I can, if I can find them. My man Keenan sent them to me. Real quick, Bridget H., Burke Gaddis, Charles Wyatt, Clarence Smith, Darlene Johnson, Donna Cummings, Doris McGaw, Elton Williams, James Earl Johnson Jr., Jarvis Waters, Joseph Joyce, Kenneth Shaw, Kenny Ash, Katasha Jackson, LaDonna Bolden, Leah James, Mary Wright, Mavis Knight, Michael W. Cross, Mitchell Brown, Oslo Inc., Sarah Lincoln, Ursula Hamilton, Wayne Burroughs. Those people have given 50 bucks or more. Don't forget, y'all on YouTube right now, there are 4,000 
234 of you who are on YouTube right now. Man, guess what? If all y'all gave right now, we, we would have just 5,000 left to join our fan club. I'm looking right now. Uh, there are nearly 1,000 of you on Facebook as well. Again, folks, let me just be real clear, and I ain't bragging. What, what did your name was say, Greg? <laughs> it ain't bragging if it's true. It ain't bragging if it's true, as Ice T would say. Yay, yay, brother. You done made that six <laughs> But But this is the thing I want our people to understand. It ain't bragging if I it's true. I want our people to understand. Ain't nobody else doing this. <laughs> nobody. Okay? It's a bunch of people smacking their gums on YouTube. But they're not bringing you quality guests. They're not bringing you top politicians and entertainers and political activists. They're not bringing you this. And the only way these things happen is we've got to support one another. Because I'm trying to tell y'all, staff, they got families. They got to get paid. We got to pay for gear. All these things we're doing. This is about providing us an opportunity to be able to speak to our issues, controlling our narrative. And just like black people, subscribe to black newspapers back in the day. This is the exact same thing. And if you actually, I told y'all, look, I, I got a check the other day for $1,000 from one of our fans. And we appreciate mm. that. Uh, and I told y'all, the first person to give to the show was a black woman in Long Island, New York with a $500 check. She said, I watched you on TV one. And she said, I am doing this to ensure that your voice is heard. That, folks, why your support matters. And so if we could get 20, if we get to get the 20,000, man, that would absolutely uh, uh, allow us to keep doing what we're doing. And trust me, we got more great conversations for y'all. We got more amazing guests that we're booking. And, and look, all of a sudden, uh, there are people who are all emailing us who are trying to get on. And we want to bring you, look, last week, Jane Elliott, T.I., Jody Watley. This week, Eddie LaVert, Ice Cube. And again, that's just on the entertainment side. We got sports figures who are reaching out to us. We got book authors. We've got other people, but it only happens if you stand with us. And so please do so. Put it up again last time. New Vision Media Inc., 1625 K Street Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2006. Make the money order or your check out to New Vision Media, please. Uh, and cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is paypal.me forward slash rmartinunfiltered. Venmo.com is forward slash RM Unfiltered. And, of course, you can go to rollandmartinunfiltered.com if you want to use a square credit card. Uh, and YouTube, y'all can give right there on YouTube. That's all you have to do. Last one, y'all. I'm rocking the Black Voters. I'm rocking the Black Voters Matter shirt today because today is the 55th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act, and so we appreciate the Black folks who died, and there were white folks who died too. We appreciate everybody who made it possible for us to be able to cast ballot. Please don't sit your ass at home and not use your power. <laughs> Go to vote.org. Get your ass registered. Register your uncle, your aunt, your cousin, your nieces, your nephew, your mama, your daddy, your frat brother, your church members, your gang member, uh, everybody. <laughs> Register everybody and hashtag fire Trump in November. Ho! <laughs> From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.